When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ever wonder what psychologists talk about over coffee? I'm Debbie Sorensen, a clinical psychologist in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, where I specialize in rehab and health psychology and acceptance and commitment therapy. And I'm Diana Hill, a clinical psychologist in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California, where I specialize in mindfulness and values-based approaches to therapy. In this podcast, we bring psychology research into practice by discussing topics from psychology with experts in the field and with each other. You'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Hi, Debbie. Good to see you today. Hi, Diana. It's good to see you, too. Well, I'm really excited to share with you an interview that I did with Dr. Alexis Karaspachik, and it's about strengths, grit, and goals, and about the field of positive psychology. Um, so, but before we do that, I wanted to check in with you because we just uh, celebrated our one-year anniversary, and I was curious about maybe in the past week or so, what are some of the strategies that you've been applying from some of the work that we've done through our episodes in your own life? I, actually, it's funny you mentioned I was just re, um, kind of revisiting some of the ideas from our episode about managing technology use because of a conversation I had with a friend where we realized we were both getting a little bit too sucked into social media and sort of compulsive news checking. And I thought back to that episode and what we learned about that and some of the tips we had. So it was actually kind of a helpful thing to remind myself. So what are you How doing? About, what are you changing? Um, just making really sure that I, I kind of keep my time on my phone sort of limited, you know, mm -hmm. kind of go on when I consciously choose to and go off <laughs> pretty soon after that. Um, yeah. cause you know, it's easy to get really sucked in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about you? Have you been putting any of our, our ideas into practice yeah, lately? Well, last night, we sort of took your lead at the, the outdoor fire, and we built a fire outside and read some Harry Potter and then oh, wow. had a nice dinner out there. And it was definitely a hug -a moment with all 10 toes up by the fire and just enjoying some family time. So that's Aww. another great way to unplug and also just having that warm coziness that's uh, related to happiness. So yeah. Yeah, cool. Love it. Love that. Yeah, great. Yeah. So today we have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Alexis Karaspachik about positive psychology. And the field of psychology has really shifted in the past 10 years away from focusing on what makes people psychologically unwell towards what makes people really flourish in their lives. And positive psychology has a focus on strengths and human potential. Dr. Bacic is a good friend of both of ours, and she really embodies positive psychology. She's dedicated her training and her career towards researching and teaching about strengths. And currently, she's a professor of psychology at Metropolitan State University at Denver. This is her 10th year teaching at MSU Denver and building the psych positive psychology course and making it part of the psychology curriculum was a big part of, or has been a big part of her mission there. 
She also maintains a private practice where she works with clients from an empirically based approach, often in positive psychotherapy. And she graduated from CU Boulder where she got her PhD in clinical psychology and she's Phi Beta Kappa graduate from Brown University. So take a listen to my interview with Alexis. I hope you enjoy it. Great, thank you. So let's dive in and let's, let's just start by saying we're gonna talk, it sounds like three aspects of positive psychology. We're gonna talk about character strengths, we're gonna talk a bit about grit, and then also goal setting. And maybe we can just start, Alexis, with why you became interested in positive psychology and sort of what led you to this field. Sure, I, I think I was always interested in positive psychology or well-being and happiness. Um, as you know, my parents are both Greek and I spent a lot of my childhood summers in Greece. And so I had exposure to American and Greek ways of living, and they're in pretty sharp contrast to one another. The joke is that uh, Americans live to work and Greeks work to live. <laughs> and I think I was always aware that Greeks knew how to live and enjoy life, and I wanted that for myself. Um, I had my first exposure to positive psychology when I was in college, when I started reading Ed Diener's work on well-being and Chick sent me highest book flow mm -hmm. and just when I was graduating from college the field of positive psychology was really emerging and it posed the perfect timing for me because I was interested in becoming a psychologist and professor but I really was mostly focused and interested in trying to enhance well-being and happiness mm -hmm. and so that's a little bit about how I became interested yeah, and, and my experience of you in graduate school, or just to disclose, so Alexis and I were in graduate school together, and she probably was the most balanced of anyone in our program, and she really did work to live. <laughs> you always had things going on on the weekends, you were skiing, you were traveling, and you you maintained your composure and your, and your just real enjoyment of life throughout graduate school, which is a very stressful time. And I've seen you continue to do that um, also as a professor, which is another stressful arena, and as a mom. So it's been, it's she's definitely one that practices what she preaches. And one of the things that you studied a lot in your graduate training, and I know you still are working in the in the field of, is this idea of character strengths. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, what are character strengths and how do you use them? Sure, yeah. Character strengths are like personality traits. They are considered to be somewhat permanent. They're positive in nature and they're thought to be relatively stable, but they're malleable. We can shape them, we can build them, we can strengthen them. Uh, we treat them like individual differences, so people have different degrees of some strengths. So an individual like yourself, you may be very high in, I'm guessing, leadership, just one of them, one of the many. Um, and other people can be relatively low on the same strength. So people have differences in terms of their relative character strengths. But some of the character strengths include creativity, fairness, equity, forgiveness, love of learning, self-regulation. Uh, there are thousands of character strengths, but researchers have narrowed them down to 24 strengths, and those are found in the VIA classification of character strengths, which is a questionnaire that you can take online to kind of start to measure them. 
Yeah. And I actually took that questionnaire. I, I had actually asked you for it to use with a client recently and then took it myself. And it was interesting because my the character strengths that I came up with were different from what I expected. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So my, my, my number one was love, which is, according to the questionnaire, um, valuing close relationships and being close to others. And then my number two was kindness, which is doing valuing doing favors and deeds for others. And then number three was social intelligence. So those all fit <laughs> sort of being a therapist. And maybe because I yeah. was taking it after seeing a whole, like a slew, I saw a slew of clients and then, and then took the, the test, I might have been a little bit primed for that. But so mm-hmm. if it's for being a therapist, but what was funny was my, my number 24, so my lowest character strength was bravery, <laughs> <laughs> which is so true. I'm such a wimp. <laughs> so that is so not true. It takes some bravery to have your own podcast. <laughs> yeah. So if that, I thought that was interesting. What, what are your character strengths? What comes up for you, Alexis? Uh, well, so my top three are perseverance, curiosity, and enthusiasm. Absolutely. That fits you, especially perseverance. Yeah. Yeah. So can yeah. you, when you take this, uh, the character strength survey, so if our listeners want to go online and take it, what, what kind of information can you glean from it? What does it predict? Yeah. So you can go to www.authentichappiness.org and you need to register yourself. It's free to register. And then you find the VIA, the Values in Action Inventory of Strength Scales, a 240-item self-report questionnaire. And it will ask you to rank order your strengths from, uh, it will rank order your strengths from 1 to 24. There are 240 items, so it takes about 25 to 30 minutes to complete. But it will spit out the your rank order of 24 strengths, which is really, really helpful. Um, I think knowing one's strengths is really important. First, most of the time we think of ourselves in terms of our deficits and everything that we have wrong about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we often aren't familiar with the strengths that we have or what's good about ourselves. So taking a questionnaire and having a classification for understanding the positives about ourselves is really an important step to identifying in a positive way. Um, So that would be the first step, going to AuthenticHappiness.org and taking the questionnaire. Uh, But then there's a process to really kind of understanding the character strengths that I like to walk people through. And the first part is really about awareness, Uh, asking yourself, is this character strength natural for me? Is it authentic? Does it show up in multiple settings? Is it energizing? Would my friends and family say that this trait is true for me? So when you take the questionnaire and you look at your top strengths, you want to ask yourself those questions to really kind of identify with, well, which ones are really true for you? Because if it, if it is a top strength, then it really will feel natural, authentic, you'll feel energized and you'll see this in yourself across multiple settings. I think the second step is really to explore the meaning that you ascribe towards the strength. So for you, Diana, I'd say, What meaning does being loving and kind and having social intelligence have for you? Where does it show up in your life? And can you describe situations where you had that strength and how did it work for you? And sometimes it may have worked really well and sometimes maybe not so well. And just notice how you use those strengths every day. So love, kindness, social intelligence, they show up for sure in your work as a therapist, but they also... Uh, inevitably are going to show up in all parts of your life, in your life as a mother and as a wife, as a sister, and so forth. Um, So really kind of exploring and 
really kind of sitting with how are these strengths true for me and then finally applying it. So the final step would be to really see how can you use your strengths more often, more frequently, and in different ways. Um, for example, can you, can you use your top strengths to enhance your most valued strengths? Sometimes our mm -hmm. top strengths are not the ones that we most value. That's true. I value bravery a lot. <laughs> it's my lowest strength. So yeah, how could, how could you use kindness to enhance bravery? It's a good question. That's right. How could you, Anna? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's self-compassion right there. I, I feel like, you know, I think I, I, um, what may not, what may, may seem like little things that are very, have been very big for me personally in terms of bravery, um, entering into the realm of being kind to myself helps, helps with that, helps taking risks. Yeah. Yep. What was low yeah. on your list? I'm so curious. What's low on my list? Yeah. Do you remember? Oh, uh, you know, yeah. Like, um, so citizenship, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> Leadership. Really? Actually, really? Yeah. I just, I just, it's not, you know, and it's when people have it low on the, their list, it doesn't mean that a person is void of it. It just yeah. means that it's a relatively lower strength. Um, so we all have components of all of these, but, um, but no, that's lower on my list. Leadership is, close to the bottom. Um, appreciation of beauty and excellence is relatively low and hmm. religiousness and spirituality is kind of low for me as well. Hmm. Actually humor too. And that's the one that hurts the most probably. Is <laughs> humor is relatively on the bottom half of me. Uh, I don't see that about you at all, but I could see leadership, not that that would be low, but you're such a team player. You're so considerate of, you know, other people's perspectives and play really, you know, do really well on a team that I could imagine that maybe that's more, more of a strength for you. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you can use your character strengths to enhance the strengths that you value. That's what you were saying. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Great. Mm -hmm. So strengths are different than values. Yeah, you know, I think it, when people take the when well, strengths are often values, so they can be one and the same. But I think you're a perfect example where you said the strengths that you have were not what you thought you were going to have. Um, so sometimes the strengths that we most value are truly not the ones that are most within us mm -hmm. that we're most capable of. Um, so, for example, I really value gratitude and kindness and love and those aren't in my top three. So, mm -hmm. so we can see that there might be a discrepancy, but because these strengths are a muscle that we can flex, we literally can start to utilize more of the valued strengths and they will become part of us mm -hmm. and they will start uh, rising up the list. You can literally take this via on authentichappiness.org multiple times. So I have taken it across the decades and uh, you can see some minor changes to how there is movement amongst the strengths as you utilize them. Mm -hmm. And how do you use this with your students? Because, oh my gosh, I would have loved to have you as my professor as an undergraduate. Because Alexis teaches a whole course on positive psychology. And then I know you encourage your students to, to do some of this work themselves. So how do you use the character strengths when you're teaching? Yeah, so I have the I have my students take the character strength inventory and then I have them identify with their strengths and come up with a story and stories from their past that exemplify their top strengths. 
And, you know, usually this takes some time and they have, uh, you know, they have a couple of weeks to be thinking about their stories. And then I have them share their stories with someone else in class so that they can really start to kind of uh, really connect around their stories and see how their strengths are really a part of who they who they are. They were this way when they were a little boy or little girl, and they're still this way as an adult. You know, it kind of transcends all parts of their life. Mm-hmm. And then I have them. Uh, not just connect with their strengths, but pick a way to enhance one of their strengths. So either one of their top strengths or one of their most valued strengths. I have them pick an action step to build that and actually do that very thing that they say that they're going to do. So for example, if you wanted to be more brave because you really value being brave, then you would be choosing something that would be brave for you and then you would be doing it and then you'd be writing about it and you'd be submitting that to me. And uh, and so it's an opportunity for students to really practice enhancing and living by their strengths. Mm-hmm. That's I have found it, yeah, I found it to be really cool. So some of my strength, some of my students have done interesting things like one was working bagging groceries and um, humor was one of his top strengths. And so he made it such that he was going to try to make each customer laugh through a joke <laughs> to enhance his humor and That's to awesome. enhance his satisfaction on the job, too. So that was kind of his goal. So, yeah, it can come out in different creative ways. And I really I, I think where I use strengths in my clinical work is that I I. I don't know when this started happening for me, whether it was after graduate school or not, but really focusing on in my sessions, doing some of that strength spotting with my clients, because oftentimes Mm -hmm. clients are coming in and they're sharing all the yak more often than not. Right. And in that, if I can pull out of the yak, oh, this is an example of where you were really courageous or I'm noticing how intuitive you were here, or I'm really appreciating you know, how much you, you uh, were assertive in this moment. So pointing out the, the strengths that my clients are bringing in amidst all the pain, and you can see a shift in how they sit, how they feel, and even the, their own narrative around what they're talking about when you highlight a strength. And you can see that with clients. You can also see it with children, strength spotting in children. So it's a it's a great technique to to use uh, in interacting with others, not only in in reflecting on ourselves. Right, right, yeah. And in fact, it's often easier to notice it in other people than it is to notice our own strengths because when we have a strength, we assume that it's easy to assume that everybody has that strength mm-hmm. because it feels so natural. It feels like you can't imagine being any other way. Um, and yet it is a strength and it's unique to the individual. So yeah, strength spotting is really wonderful. People love it. Um, I like to try to notice a change in emotionality in, in a, in a student or in a client or just anybody that I'm strength spotting for. And often you'll notice that they start to talk faster when they're excited about something. They have often better posture and that's often an opportunity to label a strength. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So once we've identified our strengths, there, you kind of were alluding to the ideas of doing some goal setting. And 
the goal setting is something that um, comes up a lot in positive psychology research and how to help people actually change behaviors in, in a positive direction. So yes. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this concept and maybe start just by talk about why behavior change is so hard. Well, that's a million dollar question. Why is behavior change so hard? It is really hard. I think there are many factors that go into that. First, uh, individuals may have a fixed mindset or they may have a growth mindset. If they have a fixed mindset, then they're not really thinking that they can change or they're not open to it. If they have a growth mindset, then they're open to the fact that they can learn new things or they can grow in different ways. So one's mindset is part of it. I think readiness to change is another huge factor. So the stages of change model is something that I often go back to. Some people might be in the pre-contemplation stage where they're not even realizing that there's something that they need to change. Other people are in the contemplation stage where they're contemplating it but not really sure. And then obviously someone needs to really prepare to get ready to make a change and they have to prepare well uh, before they can get into the action and action and maintenance stages of, of really kind of getting into the action parts of change. I think there are barriers to change. I think people don't think about the barriers to change and then therefore there's a hiccup in their plans and then they might relapse. And if you're not expecting relapse, then I think it's really easy to just give up on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to change. But if you can expect relapse, obviously things are gonna go better. And then finally, I think that there's also the task of knowing what to change and how to go about doing it. I think often people attempt to change, but they, they're not sure what exactly to change and they don't actually goal set appropriately so that achieving those changes is actually really difficult. So goal setting has a big part to do with it too. What is a, what is appropriate goal setting look like? Yeah. So the best way to achieve a goal is to keep it smart. Okay. So this is an easy way to remember it. Keep it specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Um, I think often people won't be specific enough when they set their goals. So a goal around strengths, for example, could be I want to be more loving. Um, someone might say, I want to be more loving. I want to be more loving. Well, that's not particularly specific. So how would you be specific to know that you've achieved love um, or being loving? So you'd want to really kind of quantify that and, and be specific about what it means. Oh, being loving means um, sitting with my partner and being affectionate together for five minutes every day. Okay, well, then now we can know what that love means and we can measure it with the clock not that that's romantic or anything <laughs> five minutes of loving yeah <laughs> starts now and done <laughs> yes um and uh we want we want the we want the goal to be attainable but with a stretch actually people are better off if more successful if the goal is somewhat difficult so we don't want to set an easy goal we want to set one that's somewhat difficult so you can reach it but with a stretch mm -hmm. It has to be realistic. So you can't say, uh, you know, my goal for love is for, I don't know, I'm thinking about my students. Maybe they'd say, I want Justin Bieber to be my boyfriend. I mean, that would be unrealistic probably, um, for most people. Or um, So you have to have some sort of realistic goal in mind. And it has to be timely. So we want to keep a deadline to it. So have have a certain day or time or uh 
deadline in mind when you're keeping a goal. So those can really help with goal setting. And then I think it's also really important to talk to ourselves in a way that's helpful. So functional self-talk could be really helpful. So saying something like, with all the love, kindness, and social intelligence that I have, I know I can reach my goal. All I have to do is blank and be specific. I can do this. And saying a mantra like that over and over again can really help give the confidence to achieve one's goals. Yeah, I can I can see how that would just shift your sense of efficacy if you start pointing out strengths as your as your goal setting. That combination would be pretty powerful. And I think that that's the, the common pitfall that I see in my practice is exactly what we were talking about with people saying they really want some sort of a change, but they don't get specific about it. They don't think about barriers to it and go out and try and make the change. But given that they haven't set up the goal effectively, it gets really disappointing when they don't achieve it. And right. so actually having some preparation ahead of time, that whole, that saying of, fail to plan, plan to fail. Have you heard that one? Yep. Yeah. I feel like that is very true. That when, if we want to make a, a change in our, in our behavior, we need to sit down and write it out and go through the, uh, the SMART acronym is a great one. We also did a whole podcast on habits and um, some of BJ Fobb's work back way back in, I think one of the early episodes. So those are um, great tips. Um, so I, I also think about procrastinators because mm-hmm. You, uh, when I was looking through your syllabus, it looks like you do a whole section on procrastination with your college students, which is fantastic because I'm sure they experience, you experience that. And can you talk a little bit about procrastinators and uh, how they can maybe achieve goals and what is procrastination, how it works, you know, all of that. Right. This must be foreign territory for you, Diana. Is it foreign territory for you? Because you're you're not a procrastinator. I'm not a procrastinator. No, I don't understand them. I'm a I'm an anxious achiever, so... I'm always you know, doing it ahead of time, which actually is in, as I, I read an article actually that was linked on one of your, the syllabus about how procrastination is helpful for creativity. So, Great, yeah. So yeah. Tell me more about yeah. procrastination. Okay. So for the, the rest of the 80% of people who are procrastinators, um, yeah, it, procrastination is awful because it really, it's a thief of dreams, you know, it really robs someone of of what they really want to achieve in life. So procrastinators, what they can do is they can make a list of everything that they have to do, which is really actually daunting when you actually put everything down on paper that you have to do, come up with a lengthy list. Uh, I encourage them to write a statement of intention, just like what you talked about and set a realistic, but difficult goal and keep it smart. And then I ask that they break their, goal down into specific tasks, really small, very specific tasks, and to make those tasks meaningful and to promise themselves a reward of some sort. So some sort of uh, reward or moment of pleasure, reading a book, calling a friend, going on a walk after having achieved that small task. Um, I also think it's important to be honest with what you really do and do not want to do. Sometimes procrastinators have something in mind that they're going to do, and yet they never do it for years. And the truth of the matter is that they really just don't want to do it, and they don't value it, and they really don't plan on doing it. So I think in those situations, it's important to just remove that 
that thing off your off one's list so that you're only focusing on the things that really matter and then and then otherwise get on it even if you're not in the mood because usually we're never in the mood so you you really kind of want to you want to jump jump right in and start right away yeah in full self-disclosure alexis and i both started this podcast saying i'm really not feeling positive tonight It's true. And and it's interesting to note from the beginning of really not feeling positive, my mood has slowly changed. And I, and I think that's, that is the, the message of behavioral psychology right there and behavioral activation is that oftentimes we may not want to, whether it's, you know, you know, sort of procrastination or it's just, I don't feel like it. But once you start doing it, your perspective changes. And so procrastinators can actually gain a tremendous amount of momentum if they could just get started and, and just, you know, get going on one of those small tasks. And then it starts to feel less overwhelming. I see that more often than not of just the getting started is the it's that activation energy, like in a chemistry experiment that you have to get over before yep. things start moving. And then it it, it it starts to feed feed you energy back. So. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's like trying to go to the gym. The hardest part is just getting on your get, getting your sneakers on and walking out the door. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So how's your mood? Has it shifted? Yeah, I feel pretty great. <laughs> I'm noticing a lot of bravery on your end, Diana, like self-disclosing that we weren't in the best of moods. Yes, I know. That's, that's a value <laughs> of mine. I'm working on it. <laughs> so, I love it. It's sort of a, a related topic is grit, and that's sort of all over the place with our kids right now. Researchers talking about grit and the importance of grit in terms of uh, long-term success. Can you share a little bit about what what is grit and and how do we work on grit? Yeah, grit is uh, Angela Duckworth's uh, research, and grit is defined by perseverance and passion for long-term goals. So grit is about working strenuously towards challenges and trying to maintain effort and interest over years, despite potential failure, adversity, and plateaus. Uh, so gritty individuals really approach achievement as a marathon. Uh, their advantage is their stamina. And uh, they just kind of stay the course. There are people who, despite adversity, will just keep moving forward towards these long-term goals that they have. And how do they, how do you get grit? Is it something you're born with or is it something that your parents have instilled in you? Well, that's, that's the interesting part. And I actually saw Angela Duckworth give a book uh, tour more recently for her new book uh, on grit. And it was interesting because that's what she's most asked is can, how do you grow it? How do you cultivate it? And they're really trying to figure that out. Um, you know, it seems like, it seems like, there is probably some self-regulation that we can cultivate in youth to be able to kind of start to hold on to long-term goals and not expect and anticipate short-term feedback. So, so it seems like we can, uh, you know, try to kind of cultivate it. I think it's hard though. I think that's the, the really important question that she's trying to answer in her lab right now is how do you actually grow grit? Mm -hmm. I mean, so far we can measure it in people and we can see that grit out predicts other performance variables. So for example, she has demonstrated through a lot of longitudinal studies how grit predicts surviving uh, West Point training camp 
you know, more so than IQ, SAT or standardized achievement test scores, even physical fitness. And of course, you have to be the creme de la creme anyway to get into West Point. So grit predicting who comes out on top over those other traditional variables is really kind of significant. We can also see that grit, the people that have grit are more likely to win national spelling bees. They're more likely to perform in, uh, as teachers in really challenging environments. Uh, they're just more successful in general. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we can see that people are gritty because they've had certain adversities in their lives and they have persisted through them. It's almost as if they have some growth through difficulty and that has made, made them um, all the more grittier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I think that there's strength strength and struggle, right? That as, as you mm -hmm. move through some of those struggles, you can um, definitely grow stronger. And oftentimes I'll talk when I'm working with parents of young children, I'll talk about how we, it, it's actually, um, a problem to try and bubble wrap our children, right? And protect them from anything possible that could hurt their feelings or maybe disappoint them. And that it's important, there's it's there's inoculations, like, like you go and get your kid vaccinated. It's inoculations of having some of those hard experiences, as long as they're not super overwhelming traumatic, right? So right. it's sort of within the a certain bandwidth, having some challenges throughout childhood, I, I definitely think... And I think the research supports that, that that does grow stronger people that can handle yep. more out in the world. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So do you do you do do you do this as a parent with with your child in terms of your approach of trying to encourage encourage grit? And how do you do that? Yeah, you know, I do. I try to, I really try to speak to his effort in things. Um, I really see that you're trying really hard, you know, to figure out this puzzle. I really like how you're focusing. I like how you're tr trying. Wow, you just, you didn't get it, but I like how you keep staying at the task. And I say things like that versus, oh, you're really smart, Vasily, or, oh, you're such a good athlete. I try to kind of really acknowledge the process that he's going through that I'm liking so much because that's what I want him to do more in life. I want him to keep trying. I want him to keep focusing. I want him to keep uh, persisting. And so those are the attributes that I want to reinforce. So I try to do that. Right. So process-based comments over outcome-based yep. comments or fixed. This also this relates to the Carol Dweck's fixed versus growth mindset. If we're, if we're praising process, that actually will encourage children to stick with it longer. If we tell them they're smart, then they'll just right. give up because they're like, ah, you know, I didn't get it. So I'm obviously not smart enough for this, for this one. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I also try to teach, I try to teach Vasily that, uh, that frustration and confusion doesn't mean that you should quit. Those are common, normal emotions and it means that you're learning something. So of course you're going to get frustrated or of course you're going to get confused. That means there's something new to be learned and that you're going through that process. So when you kind of reframe those, uh, those emotions of frustration and confusion as being positives and being okay, then, uh, then they're not stunted when they're confronted with them. Right. And then I don't give up. Those would be good self-talk statements for ourselves to say as well. What you're, right. what you're talking to him, saying to him. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I should, I should be doing more of this myself. <laughs> 
Although persistence is your strength, number one strength. So I don't know if you need right. more of this. <laughs> well, I'll keep going back to it over and over and over yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting because when you're a parent, you, you read this stuff and then you think, okay, how can I apply this to my kids? And I was, when you were, I was thinking about this when, um, about the marshmallow test. Did you do that with Vasily? You know what? I have not done that. I have no idea why. Oh, he I, might be too old totally now. Different. I think you have to do it when they're two or three. So uh, uh, I do you want to describe the marshmallow test, what it is and what it proves? Oh, yeah. So those are the, yes. So you put a marshmallow in front of a young child and you tell them that they can have one now or if they wait, they can have two. And then you basically time them and see what decision they sort of make. And the longer they can go without, uh, if they delay gratification and go for the two, that's just a real strong measure of their self-control. And it has a lot of predictive um, outcomes for later success. Right, yeah. yeah. So how, yeah, it ends up predicting how successful people are, how much income they make, you know, whether yep. or not they're struggling with self-control issues later on in life, all sorts of things. There's actually a book on it now, but of course, <laughs> I did it to both my children. Yeah, they didn't have any experiments on them. They did fine. They did great. And I think almost uh, to, a, to a fault, my, my, sometimes I think my children would wait three years <laughs> to eat that marshmallow. <laughs> You've trained them well. I've trained them too well to delay gratification, but that's okay. Well, um, speaking of which, what are some of the things that you do to help them have self-control and delay gratification? And I think you do some things in your house, I think, really, really well. Yeah. Well, we always, I, mean, I think we always give the message of let's do the hard thing first. And that's just something that I do in my life. And it's helped a lot with just getting stuff done of when I have a list of tasks, which is the one that I want to do least, because it ends up being that. The next task, because it, I want to do it a little bit more, it becomes a reinforcer, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it sets it up. So some of the things that we do in our house is um, we do the hard things first. So we practice our instruments in the morning. And if we have time, we also do our homework in the morning before school, which is mm -hmm. interesting because at the end of the day, there's just so little um, energy. And I just want my children to play outside when they come home. Uh, so we do that. We uh, obviously encourage um, routines and being part of the family routine includes things like setting the table and feeding the dog and, you know, doing those types of tasks. I am so appreciative of you sharing all this information with us. And um, just to kind of review what we talked about, we go find your strength, go online. What's the website again? www.authentichappiness.org. So go on there. It's free and it's pretty, it's actually really quick to sign up and find your strengths and practice strength spotting in yourself and others help use your strengths to um, set goals for yourself. And when you do set, set goals, set smart goals. So S M A R T specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. There you go. And then practice grit and self-control. It's a muscle that can actually be strengthened. And maybe think about when you're interacting with your own children or, or with children about making more process-based comments as opposed to outcome-based comments and encouraging, you know, continuing and being persistent through struggle and identifying how struggle is related to our strengths. So 
Thank you so much, Alexis, for talking tonight. And I will put your information up on our website if anyone wants to contact you or has questions uh, for you, or if you are in the Denver area and want to take Alexis's class, you could sign up. Uh, and have a great night. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diana. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.